Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, how to grow your organizational and productivity practice, brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. With every episode, we're going to learn from subject matter experts who can help you build your business in areas like marketing, HR, and finance. We'll also introduce you to business owners who are out there just like you are, and we'll learn from their successes and challenges. Please welcome your host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan. Hello, listeners. This is Stand Out, the podcast all about growing your organizing and productivity business. I'm Sarah Karakayan, a professional organizer and your host. If the legal aspect of starting or growing your business has you intimidated, lost, or overwhelmed, we have got the expert for you. From legal documents to the ins and outs of everyday business for today's expert has us covered. Lisa Montanaro is a sought-after business expert due to her background as an attorney, mediator, and trainer of entrepreneurs. She is the owner of Lisa Montanaro Global Enterprises, which is the umbrella organization under which she offers productivity consulting, success coaching, business strategizing, and speaking to individuals and organizations. Lisa is an inaugural certified professional organizer and a member of the Golden Circle of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. She is honored to have served as the moderator of the Ask the Organizer panel at the National NAPO Conference for three years. Lisa is a member of the National Speakers Association and is a frequent presenter at national and regional conferences and for teleclasses and webinars. Lisa's presentations focus on productivity, entrepreneurship, and life-work balance issues. Lisa's workshops are informative, interactive, and despite the sometimes weighty subject involved, entertaining. Lisa publishes a free monthly newsletter for success-minded individuals. Her book, The Ultimate Life Organizer, was published by Peter Popper Press in 2011. Lisa is privileged to include many organizers as her coaching and consulting clients and is delighted to be able to use her business savvy and legal skills to create much needed templates and products to raise the standards of the industry. Lisa, welcome to the show. Woohoo, wow, thank you. <laughs> what an introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> I can't wait to dig in because I know our listeners are just gunning for all that good information on how to grow our business and be successful at it. I did some digging on you and I saw that you, like me actually, come from a performing background. Yes. And then, yeah, and then you decided, you know what, instead of like me, (laughs) going to New York City and being a bartender and acting sometimes on the side, uh, you uh, went into law. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I used to tell people I decided to not be a starving actress, (laughs) but instead be someone that, you know, could support myself and then do acting on the side. So thankfully, Mm -hmm. it's still a wonderful hobby of mine. Uh, I still do community theater to this day, just did Les Miserables and Cabaret in the last five years and get up on stage. But I was about uh, between 14 and 18 years old. 
I was about teenage years and I was thinking, you know, what do I want to do? And I loved performing, but I was worried about supporting myself and, and didn't come from a family with a lot of money. And so, you know, and they kept saying, you're so smart, you have this brain. And it's not that it doesn't take a brain to be a performer, but they were thinking of doing something like more cognitive. And so I happened to take a class in high school on law and I just fell madly in love. The problem was that I think as a kid, I saw it as another form of performing. And it really was not. It was about as real life as you can get. <laughs> uh, and you're dealing with people's lives and businesses and homes and jobs. And uh, so it's a little bit of a rude awakening once I became a lawyer, but we could talk about that later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was sort of the journey. So it's like Broadway bound and then went to law school. The good news is I loved law school. I should have known there was something wrong with me <laughs> back then and that I'd probably never love being a lawyer because most lawyers hate law school. Um, and love practicing, uh, many of them. And I actually loved law school. I loved you know, researching it, writing about it. Um, I loved everything about those years. So it's not that I had any regrets um, during that journey, but I didn't do much performing during that time. And I would not call my courtroom experience performing because it was so stressful and so real. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's kind of funny because you don't meet very many people that wanted to go into performing and then wind up becoming an entrepreneur. But I actually think that it's a great skill. Uh, if you are a good performer, usually you're a good communicator. Uh, you are willing to be the entrepreneurial face of your business. You're a good networker. Uh, so, and usually you're a good speaker. So right. it actually is a very helpful background to have. Who would have known for the both of us, right? <laughs> right, right, right. So then how did you go from practicing law to organizing or, or productivity um, consulting? So it was, um, around the turn of the millennium and I had been thinking of doing something else because I was very disillusioned with the practice of law. I went into it thinking I'd save the world and the world didn't want to be saved. The world wanted to fight. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is really negative and I'm a very positive person. And I had already had a certificate in career coaching uh, and I had been, because I was an employment lawyer, so it's a nice match. I also was um, certified as a mediator. So I had been kind of building towards doing something else, but it was still going to be sort of on the outskirts of the law. And then around the year 2000, my best friend uh, sent me an email to the napo.net uh, website at the time. And it was like an explosion went off. And I was you know, thinking to myself, people do this for a living? And she, right. you know, she said to me in the email, I was living in Michigan at the time practicing law. And she said, this is so you, you're always, you know, organizing, planning. And don't you do these workshops now as a lawyer? Um, you know, uh, I would do workshops for other lawyers on like how to organize your practice and get ready for court and, you know, get your paperwork in order and, you know, not knowing that that was uh, part of this other profession. So I had my eyes set on doing this and then 9-11 happened. And uh, I worked about, at that point, about three blocks from the Trade Center. So I stayed uh, a little bit longer to help my university. I was Associate General Counsel at the time, and I helped them transition after 9-11. Uh, and then I went to a New York, uh, New York chapter of NAPO, had a really cool little one-day conference at the time in 2001 in January before 9-11, and it was called Putting the Professional in Professional Organizing. It was a long time ago, and it was phenomenal, and I met a lot of people there, and that was when I slowly transitioned. So it took me a while, and for anyone listening, it took me about 18 months to transition from my full-time job as an attorney to my organizing business, but it was a blessing because I was able to slowly build a business on the side and do a lot of the things I needed to do to help market, 
and get a client base going. And so by the time I finally jumped ship from my law career about 18 months later, later, I was really fully prepared and was very much in business at that time. So even though I was very impatient and I wished it had gone quicker, I think it was actually a, a wonderful way to do it. Let's dig into that. I feel like a lot of people do it that way. They they have one profession and then on the side they're, you know, researching everything they can about the profession or looking at people who are, you know, a few years in. How did you balance that? Uh, I think that's a good question. I, uh, the nitty gritty, like if we're looking at a time management standpoint, I still was working as an attorney three days a week, but of course it bled into the other days because as an attorney, it's very difficult to just, you know, cut things off. So let's say I was working three full long days a week. And then the other two days a week, I would have to check email and I'd have some phone calls, but I really was free to book organizing sessions. And I started in two different ways, which I think are, again, helpful for people hearing. Uh, One way was that I subcontracted for another organizer who had a very Mm well-established business. And at first she said, you know, I don't know, you know, you're an attorney, you're just going to go start your own business. And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) But if you're really overwhelmed with work right now, um, I will do a great job and I will be very loyal to you while I'm with you. And I don't plan to start my business down the street from you because I live so far from you. So it actually worked out really well. And it was a great way for me to get my feet wet and get some experience and make sure that this was something I was good at. Um, then I started taking my own clients those two days a week and sometimes on the weekends. I tried to balance it where I had one day of what I will call business development. So I was researching that day, I was establishing the business, I was you know, doing all of the things I needed to do in terms of paperwork and getting things ready uh, to get going and getting my brand ready and my business cards and my website. Um, And then the other two days I was working with clients so that I could actually build my organizing skills. And then, like you said, I was still working as an attorney. So it wasn't an easy time. And I'd say that a lot of other things fell by the wayside and I was okay with that. So I said to myself, this building up period uh, is kind of like giving myself a mini MBA plus learning Mm -hmm. my organizing skills. So this isn't the time to take on a bunch of new hobbies. Um, And I also asked for support from people around me, like my spouse, my husband, um, and told my friends, you know, hey, I'm still working as an attorney while I'm building this business. Um, I also was, without realizing it, uh, a master marketer, which wound up helping me over the 16 years of my business. And a lot of things organically just came to me. So I lived in a small town. Actually, I lived in Manhattan. And then I moved to a small town in the Hudson River Valley. And I called the uh, local paper. And I just said, hey, I'm starting this really cool business and I don't see anyone in the area doing this. And they came and did like a front page spread of the business journal section of the newspaper, like the organization what? woman, you know, lawyer turns organizer. Um, and the great thing is that reporter stayed with my business for the entire 10 years that I lived in that area and covered almost every single speaking gig I ever did. So it was a great way to get started. <laughs> it's kind of funny. That way, to, that is, that's exceptional, actually. <laughs> I know. Um, do you, do you, have you done that? And now you live in Northern California. So has that worked for you again, just calling and seeing if there's... Yeah, actually, it's interesting because uh, I lived in that town for about 10 years and I was on the radio probably about four or five times. Same thing. I just called the radio station and I said, I've been listening to John Moultrie and he's a wonderful interviewer and 
you know, January's Get Organized Month and uh, it's a big New Year's resolution. I think your listeners would love this. Can I send you some tips? And he got it and he said, let's have you on. And then it just became an ongoing thing. So between the newspaper and him, and then I joined the Chamber of Commerce um, and eventually got on their board. And there were no other organizers when I started, which was sort of lonely. Um, eventually, more organizers came to the county and to my town. But in the beginning, I was sort of the trailblazer because I had to teach people what a professional organizer was um, and what a productivity right. consultant was. And uh, I actually liked that. I call that with my own clients, I call that educational-based marketing. And educational-based marketing is one of the most powerful ways to market because it's less about selling and more about educating people to an industry. So when people say like, oh, or people don't even know what an organizer is around here, I'm like, good, use that and use it to your advantage because it's actually really useful because you go, oh, let me tell you a little bit about what we do and how we help. And then they feel right. less like you're selling to them and more like you're explaining to them. Uh, so when I was coming out to California, I knew in advance for about five months, I was coming out here in 2012. At that time, I, had no, I was no longer doing hands-on organizing with my clients. I had slowly transitioned out of hands-on organizing, and I had a team of subcontractors that would go out and do the residential organizing division of the business um, with my clients for me. And I was doing what I would call the productivity consulting and speaking and coaching end of the business. So I kept the team in New York to service the clients when I moved across country. And I did a few things before I got here. Uh, one was that I got a Google voice number with a phone number in this area and added it to my website. And I did that for about five months before. And then I also added to the website serving Northern California and New York City area. And that way people could see that I was bi-coastal. Um, I joined the Chamber of Commerce the minute I got here and immediately said to them, can I come speak uh, at one of your meetings um, about some productivity tips for free, you know, and just uh, get my, my name out there. And I joined several meetup groups for speakers and coaches. Uh, so again, I did sort of all the same things I did in New York. And again, I got lucky or I was in the right place at the right time or I'm, you know, master marketer if I want to give myself a lot of credit. Ha <laughs> ha. But there was a, t a TV producer uh, sitting in the audience for one of my speaking engagements for one of the meetup groups. And she came up and said, I'd love to have you on the morning news show. And then that turned into something that I would do about twice a year, giving productivity tips for the Sacramento Fox 40 News. So yeah, I think wow. a part of it is just being high profile enough where people can find you. Right, right. And by high profile, you probably mean just getting out there and getting involved. Even if you're, you were new to the area, even in New York, you were new to the area and you were new to the profession, but you right. still put yourself out there and really believed what you were doing and people wanted to know more. Yeah. And I know that there are some people that will say I'm an introvert um, and I'm not a former performer and that isn't comfortable for me. So then write. Uh, I wrote uh, two newspaper columns. So if you're a really good writer, that's a way to you know sit, sit in your own uh, comfort of your own home and not get yourself out there in that way, but you're still getting yourself out there. Nowadays, like we didn't have social media back in, you know, 2002. Right. Nowadays, you could be a social media, uh, you know, whiz and you could be all over the place. Um, and again, that might be more comfortable for you. And then there are always power partnerships. So calling people in your area that look at the same target market as you, but that maybe aren't direct competitors. Um, the other thing is I was always very open. I got here, I called every organizer. I went to the chapter meetings uh, for the National Association. And then I also went to some local groups 
um, of organizers and because I thought, well, these are my peeps. <laughs> so right. they're going to get me. So I never looked at them as competition. And I think that's also a good mindset for people that are moving to a new area or starting in a new industry. Is the, you have to look at these people as your partners. Um, right. And that's another great way to get out there. So those are all ways to get out there, even if you don't want to be, quote, high profile, you know. <laughs> right, right. And when you reached out to these organizers who were already established in this area, were they receptive yes, to absolutely. you? I mean, for several reasons. One is we had already known each other, many of us, from going to the national conference. And so that's a great benefit of being at a national conference like that. You're meeting people from around the country. So now you're contacting them and saying, guess what? I'm moving there. And instead of them being like, oh, they're like, that's awesome. You know, um, the other thing is many of us have different specialties and the pie mm -hmm. is quite large. And so immediately I thought, well, I'm not going to do this type of organizing. So I'm going to give it to you. And they thought, well, I don't do that type of speaking. I don't go to corporations or universities and do keynotes. And so immediately you could see that there were areas that we would comfortably refer to each other. Um, and, and also just, you know, some, a new person to talk to about the industry and about running a business, which can be a very solo, um, isolating type of thing to do. So, yeah, I, I found uh, that connecting with them, when other organizers, other coaches, other speakers was always beneficial. Um, and sometimes you make great friends, too. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. Yeah. That's great. So when you started your business, you were an attorney. Did you already have an understanding of what it would take for you to be a legal entity? Yes. So that's a good point. Um, I was probably a little ahead of the average new entrepreneur in the sense that I knew about legal foundations. So things like immediately I said to myself, okay, what entity would I like to start as? And I knew that a DBA which is a sole proprietorship, is about what 78% uh, of new entrepreneurs start as. And it's fine because it's quick, it's easy, it's inexpensive, and there's no barrier to entry. But I also knew that that would give me no protection in terms of liability. And I like to explain liability as uh, sort of um, a good metaphor if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart <laughs> because it's it's very it's very difficult for people to understand legal issues and and I get that they're they're kind of dry and they're difficult so picture you know Braveheart and you've got this huge shield and so when you start a business you have no shield and so what I would tell people is you can get your shield through your legal entity and the legal entities um, are sole proprietorship or if you wanted to go a little further, you can do a limited liability company, which is known as an LLC, or you can do a corporation, and there are C-Corps and S-Corps. Um, and then there are also partnerships under the law, but technically those are common law and they're not really entities. Uh, so most partnerships will either become multiple member LLCs or mm -hmm. uh, shareholders of a corporation. And so that's one way to add to your shield. So I was like, okay, you know, if I'm going to start as a DBA, which I did, and then I transitioned to an LLC uh, a few years later, I knew I had to bolster my shield somehow. So I immediately created for myself a client agreement. And by having an agreement in place with a client, it made my shield a little thicker. And then I also got insurance and then the insurance made it even thicker. So I tell people that, you know, if you want a triple whammy, you should have a legal entity that supports um, liability protection, like a corporation or a limited liability company to start, plus insurance, plus a client agreement. But if you can't do all of those from the beginning, then at least have one. 
and then just keep making your shield thicker over the years. And sometimes when I explain it that way, people are like, oh, I actually finally get this. <laughs> so I'm going to have like a mini shield and then a thicker shield and then a thicker shield and it just gets thicker and thicker. The other thing to think about is um, we're so obsessed when we start a business and I get it on protecting ourselves, but a lot of these things actually have the wonderful added benefit of protecting our clients also, mm -hmm. especially the client agreement, and it makes us look more professional. I'm amazed how many new business owners will start a business and they'll spend the time and money and energy to become uh, a limited liability company or to become a corporation. And then they don't put that on their business cards or their website. And I'm, mm. I'm amazed. And I'm like, wow, why wouldn't you want people to know that you take yourself seriously and that you're a real entity and that you're professional? And also in some states like New York, you're really required to list that you're an LLC or a corporation unless you file a document saying that you don't want to do that. And it's sort of like, why would you do that? Um, and, right. you know, if you think about it, a lot of people will say, well, professional organizers, many of them serve residential individual clients and they don't care. They do care. Um, I care when someone comes to my house, whether they take their business seriously. So I think that you're doing yourself a disservice if you're actually hiding that you're a legal entity. I think you should uh, say it loud and proud. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So if you're a new business owner, where do you recommend they go to get great advice? Because I know state to state probably yeah. differs. So I know that, you know, people who are listening maybe in one state that it's different than California or New York. Where should they go to find out good, solid, trustworthy information? So there are several places to go. If you already have an accountant or a lawyer that you use for anything else, they would be the best place to go because they're a trusted advisor. And people are always shocked when I say that, but your accountant usually will know a lot about business entities because they probably have many clients that have small businesses and they are used to filing taxes for them. So one of the best things to do is ask your accountant, if I were to start a business, would you prefer and would you feel more comfortable taking tax deductions for me? And are you more familiar with a limited liability company or a corporation in this state? And if they're the person filing your taxes and they say, I can get you more deductions legally and I feel more comfortable filing if you were an S corp, then let them create an S corp for you. And people are always like, I never thought of that. But if this is a person filing your taxes and a lot of legal entity issues become taxation issues, and go to the source and ask them, what do you think I should start? And which one do you think you can get me a better uh, deal each year? Of course, you know, uh, following the IRS rules. If you don't have an accountant, but let's say you have a lawyer, a lawyer in your family or a lawyer that you've used for other types of things, and they do small business, then ask him or her next. If you don't have either one of those and you're really on a budget, you can go to some state agencies like the SBA or SCORE, and those are free. Um, and many times Chambers of Commerce will have um, also retired lawyers that will you know, just give you a free quick consultation. So if you're really on a budget, there are places to go. You can also go to a, an, a professional association. Uh, like a NAPO, and just look at you know some of the articles that have been written. Um, you can look at places like my blog. I've written lots of articles on like choosing a legal entity, um, and then I would ask some great colleagues. So if you're already in the industry, ask some people. So hey, you're you're in Connecticut. What did you create? Um, some states don't recognize an LLC. It's just not even an option in all states. A lot wow. of people don't know that. Um, and then again, other types of state taxation agencies will allow you to take more losses in your first few years if you're an S-corp. 
so I think going to the source, going to your lawyer, your accountant, or your state SBA or SCORE or Chamber of Commerce. Um, another great place to go that a lot of people don't think of is if you're creating a very simple business, which probably a lot of beginner organizers would be doing an SBA, I'm um, pardon, pardon me, a DBA, which is a doing business as sole proprietorship, you have to go to your county clerk's office and file a DBA certificate, which is like 25 bucks, maybe to 100 bucks, not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Those county clerks, when you stand online and fill that form, are so helpful. And people just don't even think about that. But you go there and you say, hey, I'm going to start a new business. It's going to be Organizers R Us. I'm so excited. Oh, what are you going to be doing? And you tell them and you're like, and they're like, here, dear, you need this form and this form. And oh, don't forget this one. And then you have to publish it in your newspaper for three weeks. And they're actually very helpful. <laughs> Those, you just gave us a slew of tips and information. So I recommend <laughs> everyone kind of press pause, rewind, get a pen and paper. Um, I actually used score in New cause I lived in New York city too for a while. And that was really helpful. Uh, one of the, the, the consultants, I guess that we spoke to was retired and so excited to just share what they learned in their journey. So to not just, yeah. That, yeah. And there are some great places like in New York, I ran, um, a group called, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was a Women's Enterprise Development Center. I ran a mastermind program for them, and it was unbelievably inexpensive. And if you were thinking of starting a new business, and in, in this particular program, you had to be a woman and a new entrepreneur, and you could go through this program for something like 20 weeks, and it was like $300 or something. Um, and then there was another program through the Empire State Development Corporation, and that one you had to be laid off, and then you were allowed to go through this program, whereas the other one you didn't. And those programs walked you through how to start a business nuts to bolts. Uh, so I think for everyone listening, look around in your county and in your state and start asking, are there any new entrepreneur programs? And sometimes they are, it's almost like, again, getting a mini MBA and you can go for eight months or eight weeks or, you know, uh, or one hour and they're very helpful. And many of them are unbelievably subsidized because the government wants entrepreneurs because it stimulates the economy. Right, right. Are there any pits? I know, do you still practice or are you full-time? Nope. I have not practiced law in 16 years, which is so weird to say that out loud because it's still, it's still such a part of me in the sense that I use my legal training all the time on a daily basis. So it is a bizarre thing. Like someone said to me like, oh, well, you were an attorney once. I'm like, well, I'm actually still an attorney. So I'm licensed in three states um, and I still pay my bar dues in one of them in New York because they never will let you stop. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but I'm inactive. Uh, so and I did that on purpose. I don't think I'll ever go back. But if you want to go back, I didn't want to have to take the bar exam again. Sure. Uh, who would ever want to do that, you know, or pass the character and fitness committee and get fingerprinted. And so I just uh, claim that I'm inactive, but if I wanted to go back, I'm eligible. Um, so no, so I don't practice law anymore, uh, meaning I don't represent clients as a lawyer. Sure. Yeah. So then I guess you'll probably still have um, uh, thoughts about this. What are some pitfalls you see, not only new, but experienced business owners? What are some legal pitfalls you see uh, colleagues or just business owners in general making? Yeah. One of the big ones is they go to, uh, they go to the wrong lawyers for advice. And what I mean by that is they'll say, Oh, I'm going to use my cousin, John to do my trademark. And meanwhile, John is like a DUI attorney who works in the criminal field who knows nothing about trademark, or they'll have someone draft their client agreement, uh, you know, who does 
again, divorce or real estate closing. So lawyers specialize and you don't want to be sort of penny wise and pound foolish and get advice from someone that doesn't understand that specialty because if they overlook something that, you know, they're, that they don't know about, let's say they're not an IP lawyer, which, which is intellectual property, which would be trademark copyright patent, or they don't, they've never done a small business contract. They may overlook something that uh, could wind up being detrimental to you. So I would say to make sure that you're using a lawyer within a specialty that makes sense for you. Um, and don't be cheap and use your cousin just because he's like, well, I'll do it for free because that's what you're going to get. <laughs> you're going to get uh, free legal advice that's not really a specialty. So that's, I think, one of the biggest pitfalls. And I can understand why people do it because, again, they're on a budget. Um, but there are ways to work on a budget without uh, harming yourself and maybe walking around. You know, you might not get your trademark. And guess what? That's going to cost you a lot more money later on because you're going to have to refile with an attorney that knows what they're doing. Or you have a client agreement that doesn't adequately protect you or your client. Uh, so I'd say to make sure that you're using attorneys within the specialties that you need. And for those of you who are listening and going, I didn't even know that they have specialties and that would be eye opening. Uh, so the minute you figure out, and the other thing is you might not even know what the specialty is. Like you don't even know that a trademark attorney would be called IP. Right. Um, and you don't know that someone that drafts contracts for small businesses would be a small business attorney. Um, so yeah, so I think it's important to kind of know those specialty areas. And that's an area where you can ask a business coach or business consultant like me. You can say, is there a specialty and what's it called and who do I look for? Right. Um, I think another pitfall is not using a contract. And I see a lot of organizers do this and a lot of small business owners, they say, you know, I don't want to look like I'm being too legal. And I get that. Uh, but there is a way to draft a contract that is in plain English language that doesn't have a ton of legalese, but that still gets across a professional um, environment for you and your client, and that sets forth the terms and conditions of the relationship so that you don't get into trouble later on when the client's like, well, you never told me that, or I didn't know that, or vice versa. You're saying, oops, you know, I have a cancellation policy. Didn't I tell you about that? Always in my contract. And they're like, you never sent it to me so have a basic contract to start with. Um, I think that's another big legal pitfall. And a lot of people will start without one or not use one for years, and then they'll start to see how beneficial it is and, and then add it in later on. So I'd say to pretty early, up, pretty early on in your business, try to figure out um, how to sort of plug the holes mm -hmm. legally and, and get those going early on and don't wait too long. So I guess the third pitfall is that people wait too long. Um, if you do have some great, uh, great idea, um, you know, go ahead and protect it, you know, trademark it. Um, if you've created a wonderful document, like you have the best assessment form in the universe, copyright it. Uh, so I think having a little bit of legal knowledge from the beginning uh, can be very helpful. And I guess one of the biggest pitfalls is people don't know what they don't know. Right. So edu educate yourself, you know, listen to some podcasts. Um, follow a bit, small business attorney online. Some of them are great and they're blogging uh, and you know, giving free, free advice. Um, and also don't be afraid to hire a really good small business attorney um, and sort of get them on your team advisors and tell them in the beginning, I knew I don't have a lot of money, but I'd like to establish a relationship with someone over the years. And as I build my business and I have more money, we can plug the holes, but ask them sort of like a legal audit, like, okay, I only have this much money to start. What do you recommend I do first? And they might say, the first thing I'll do is make you a legal entity. 
few years later, you know, a year later, I'll then give you a client agreement. Then I'll copyright your documents. And then I'll trademark your great ideas. So it'd be nice to sort of grow with a small business attorney that you trust and ask them for sort of a hierarchy of as I grow my business and as I get more income, what makes the most sense to do at what time? Right. I love that. And I think if an attorney is receptive to that, they're probably a great partner to have. And if they're not receptive, then maybe it's someone that you, you know, it's, it's not going to work out anyway. Probably. And also they may be honest and say, I only do this one piece of it because that's my specialty. But then when you're ready, I'll send you to someone else. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And I think also using accountants more than small business people realize. Uh, my accountant is phenomenal. And so many of these issues have taxation uh, concerns. And so have a good accountant that you can be, that you can have on retainer, that you can ask questions about your business. Um, a lot of, a lot of great small business owners are not keeping as much money as they can because they don't understand the tax code and they don't understand deductions and they don't track their deductions. So that'd be another great area to avoid a pitfall would be to know your business deductions early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's awfully boring, and I know no one out there is going to do it. But getting a hold of uh, getting a hold of a Schedule C, just go online to irs.gov and print out a Schedule C and look at the business deductions you're allowed. And knowing those up front will actually change your business from the beginning because you'll start tracking those things from year one. And you don't want to find out in year five that you could have been taking a deduction all these years. Right, right. So I noticed that you provide. Uh, products and templates. Is that correct for, for professional organizers and productivity? I do. Yeah. And, and part of it is because of exactly what we're talking about is that people don't have a lot of income when they start. What they have is time and they have a desire to learn, but they don't have a ton of money sitting around. Um, and so when they, you know, when they're ready to sort of legal up, um, I put together this package called the business foundations template package, and it has a client agreement template an independent contractor agreement template that one could use with their webmaster, their virtual assistant, uh, you know, any subcontractors, uh, their photographer. A lot of people don't think of independent contractors as all the people working in their business, but they are. Um, and then it also has an operations manual, which everyone should have uh, as early on as possible. I, for, for as serious-minded as I am and the fact that I came into my organizing business knowing a lot about the law, I wish I had created my ops manual years earlier than I did. Um, we could talk about that later. There are a few other things I waited way too long to do, like to get help. <laughs> um, so I, I wish I had actually started some of those earlier. So I put together these template packages and they're very reasonably priced and they're actually customized to an organizing business because people don't always have uh, the time and the money uh, to get those done. And also to be fair, a lot of attorneys don't know what we do. Right. So they don't even know the clauses. Like they wouldn't know to add a clause on like destruction of property or um, making sure that the client, uh, you know, uh, approves everything before it's donated or they wouldn't even know that we do things like that. So uh, the, the nice thing about these templates is that they're geared towards our industry. It's so funny. Sometimes I feel like if you're in residential organizing, you're somewhere between a, an interior designer, a handyman, and you know, a consultant, <laughs> you like live in this other world. So it's kind of, it's very cool that you have this background of the law and this really interesting profession that is obviously growing, but still new to a lot of areas and a lot of people. I mean, four years ago, I, you know, I was you where I was like, 
people get paid to do what I've loved to do since I was little. So, so that's, that's great. Um, what, so let's take a quick break, but I want to dive into this operations manual because I don't know that I know exactly what you're talking about. So maybe I need to get on this, (laughs) on this boat. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals invites you to become a certified professional organizer. CPOs have proven industry proficiency by demonstrating they possess the body of knowledge and experience essential to professional organizing and productivity consulting. The CPO credential identifies professional organizers who've documented a specific number of paid hours that include transferring organizing skills to a client and have also passed the Board of Certification for Professional Organizers Examination. The credential provides the organizing and productivity industry a way to elevate its professional standards. Visit napo.net to learn more. Okay, we're back. I have Lisa Montanaro, who is a who was an attorney and is now a uh, professional organizer and productivity specialist, and she's a speaker and she does so many things. And we were talking about the templates that she has available on her website because she has the background she has. Both, you know, she used to do residential organizing and was an attorney, and so she brought up the fact that there is an operations manual that she wished she had started in her business early on and she didn't do. Um, Lisa, what is that and why should we have it? (laughs) So some people call it a policies and procedures manual. I tend to call it an operations manual. Uh, It is essentially, um, for lack of a better word, almost like the blueprint of your business. So think of it as uh, everything that you do within your business has usually a process, a procedure uh, to it. And so, for example, if you have a client intake process, Mm -hmm. so the client, let's say, contacts you by email or phone, do you get back to them in 24 hours? Do you have a telephone script? What do you send them? When do you send that? So think about it as a template or checklist of every single thing that happens in your business. So a good operations manual will free you up to delegate to someone else when you're ready. In the meantime, you can delegate to yourself because you're going to get busy. Hopefully, you're going to have a lot more clients. And let's say you're billing, you know, 25 billable hours a week of, you know, hands-on client sessions and you've got your marketing and your financials and, you know, it's 1030 at night, your ideal client sends you an email and you come into your office after dinner, you want to have a template to send back to them that you just quickly pull from your office manual and you customize a little bit. The thank you for contacting us email. You want to have an email that says, you know, here's our client agreement. Please sign it email. Um, We take a deposit. So basically, the nice thing about an operations manual is a living, breathing document. And every time you change something in your business or every time you write a great new email and you're like, oh, that sounds great, make it a template. (laughs) So think of it as a way to sort of blueprint your business. Um, It is a wonderful tool if you are going to delegate. So when I finally retained the services of my virtual assistant in 2008, which was probably a few years later than I should have, um, I then had this great ops manual that I could send her. I usually recommend that if you're the business owner, have one for you called master or owner, and that will have passwords in it and things like that, and then have a separate one that you would send to a team member or a business manager or something. 
And so it is a great way to delegate. And then if you get a team eventually of, let's say, organizing associates that work with you, then they would all have the company operations manual. So it's kind of like the Bible. Like you just keep throwing everything in there. Um, you can create it slowly over time. It's not something you're going to sit down and do in a day or two. And you keep popping new things in there. I do sell, like I said, an operations manual template that is basically a huge table of contents that prompts you of what to put in. Um, but there's nothing stopping you from doing it for yourself if you wanted to try to do it from scratch. Uh, think of it as you're almost franchising your business, but you're not really franchising your business. Right. Well, I think that goes yeah. back to you. You know, you're very passionate about taking yourself seriously as a business owner from the get go. You know, and you also say that when you start your business, you, you know, we started because we want to do every day what we love doing, but that you need to build your business around your lifestyle so that you're not creating a new job for yourself. Right. What do you mean by that? So I see a lot of people that will create a business and I always say that the one, one of the wonderful things about being an entrepreneur is a blessing and a curse. You know, so you have all this freedom and flexibility and you're the boss, but it's also a curse because you're the boss and sometimes you work yourself really hard. <laughs> so I see a lot of new entrepreneurs and I get it. They're excited and, um, but they are sort of a, they've become like a slave to their business. And, you know, I'll ask them, do you want to uh, compartmentalize your life and have everything separate or do you want to integrate it a little where you can say you know what I started this business so I can have the freedom and flexibility to have a great lifestyle and if so then honor that so say I take clients these days and you know these days I have a business development day and these days I see my family and and it took me a long time to learn that and part of that was just the sort of puritanical work ethic of coming from the law background I was so used to working and billing hours that it um, I, I carried it over a little bit into my business. And then as the years went on, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the boss. And if I want to work with a client in the morning and then go take, you know, a bike ride in the afternoon, and then I want to instead work in the evening, I can do that. This is my business. I can do whatever I want. Right. And I realized that we live within a nine to five world. And so in some ways we have to sort of toe the line. Uh, you know, we can't expect a client to work at, you know, two in the morning. Um, but I would just be careful that you haven't set up for yourself another job. So if part of the reason you started this business is so that you can have some better semblance of life work balance, then I want you to really pay attention to that. Cause I'm amazed how many people in this industry are overworking themselves and not being a kind boss to themselves. Yeah. Right. You know, you mentioned yourself that you wish you would have hired a virtual assistant maybe two years before you did. Um, yeah. I know a lot of us struggle with that. We, we wonder, are we making enough money yet where we can hire someone else to help us make more money? You know, and it's, it's such this like right. catch 22. Right. Do you have any words of wisdom on how to maybe start delegating before we think we should so that we can have amazing growth? Yes. Um, I, I would ask you to adopt a mantra that I finally adopted. Um, and it is let go to grow. Uh, it, it is not uh, a coincidence that for my own business and every entrepreneur that I've ever coached, that when they finally let go and start to delegate and outsource effectively, that they grow exponentially. And I, I do mean financially, but I also mean in lots of other ways. As a leader, um, as the expert in their business, focusing on what they really should be. So we just need to be careful that um, if you have what I had, which is CFS, which is control freak syndrome. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, if you uh, try to become a recovering CFS uh, because it's not serving you well, 
Um, and, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but um, many of us are perfectionists that come into this industry, uh, type A personalities. And, you know, it's great to have high standards and it's great to be in charge of all the systems of your business, but you can't be uniquely brilliant at all of them. So figure out what you're uniquely brilliant at and then start to let go of the others. So the first exercise I'd ask you to do is to make a list and on the left say unique areas of brilliance and on the right say everything else. And I want you over time to look at that everything else list and then put equal sign delegate these. Mm. And because that's what you should be delegating. Whereas the unique areas of brilliance are what you should be safeguarding for you. If you're uniquely brilliant at talking to the clients directly, then don't outsource client communications. Outsource something else. Um, if you're not uniquely brilliant at fighting with the dashboard of your blog and with uh, formatting your newsletter, then that would be one of the first things to delegate. So pay attention to the uh, UBPs, the unique brilliance areas, and then pay attention um, to the delegation, which is the everything else. Then the second thing is to start to look at your billable hour. Like, what do you charge? Let's say you charge 10 potatoes, but a virtual assistant can charge, you know, two potatoes. Then you've got eight potatoes left and you focused on your unique areas of brilliance. So um, just be careful that you're not saying, I can't afford it, uh, when you might actually be able to afford it because you're using your time and energy to either directly work with clients or to focus on the unique areas of brilliance that you should be focusing on and you're giving the things that you're not good at or you just don't like doing or you're just not brilliant at to someone else. In 2008, I retained the services of my virtual assistant and my webmaster and all of a sudden it freed me up to add on all these speaking engagements uh, and that you know totally increased my income and my, pro and my marketing, because now I'm out there, it made me more high profile. And so then that brought in even more income. So it, it was interesting because I had the fear that everyone else has. And my husband said to me, Lise, you delegated all the time as an attorney. And I had to stop and think. And I said to him, I didn't own the law firm. This is now my baby. But I was holding on so tight that I was actually crushing my baby. Right. <laughs> so uh, let go to grow is my biggest piece of advice and do it before you're overwhelmed and before you're desperate. Do it when you're just starting to feel busy enough where you're like, Ooh, this is getting kind of busy and, you know, and do it just at that piece. And then, and my big advice is don't sign up for too much because then it's going to scare you. So a lot of virtual assistants will have like, you have to sign a month contract and use them for 40 hours that month. That might be too much. So bite a tiny bit off, chew on it, see how it feels, and sort of exercise your delegation muscles, put a little money out, and see how it works, and then hopefully that will bolster you to keep moving forward, you know. I love it. Yeah. It sounds like, I was going to ask you, what do you recommend business owners delegate? But it sounds like, to me, it really depends on the business owner. Yeah. So I do think that it falls into a few categories and, and I'll, I'll try to make this really quick, but if any of you read the book, uh, the e-myth by Michael Gerber, great little book. And a lot of people will start to read it and think like, why am I reading this book? This is about how to franchise a business. And if you can put past your put, you know, put that past it. So like, it's not really about how to franchise a business. It's how to blueprint a business. Uh, so again, going back to that sort of blueprinting, but really the masterful side of Michael Gerber's tiny little book is the three hats of an entrepreneur. And the three hats of an entrepreneur are an entrepreneur, a technician, and a manager. And the entrepreneur is sort of in the front of the business. They're the face of the business. They're the networker. They're the marketer. 
Um, they're the visionary, they're the innovator, and they're always sort of looking for business to throw it back to the technician and the manager. Um, and they do all the sales and all the marketing, and that's actually something that a lot of entrepreneurs who start a business enjoy. Um, if you don't like the entrepreneur role, people go, well, that can't be delegated. It actually can't. You can get a marketing representative. Um, you can get someone to do your social media for you. You can get someone to blog for you. You can get someone to go out to and attend networking events for you with your cards and a little shirt on and talk up your business. So if you're not good at the entrepreneur role, which is sort of the visionary, the salesperson, you can actually delegate that. The next hat is the technician. They're the worker bee. They're the ones that actually working with the client. In our industry, they're either organizing, productivity consulting, speaking, writing, coaching. Um, but they're delivering the client services directly. Most people start a business because they love the technical skills. Oh, I love organizing. Oh, I love home staging. Oh, I love relocating people. You know, So they start a business to do the thing. Um, can that be delegated? You betcha. Uh, if you're like, okay, uh, I'm listening to this and I, I feel horrible saying this, but I'm sick of organizing, but I still love running an organizing business. Right. Then there are tons of people out there that love organizing that maybe don't want to run a business. Um, so those are your new worker bees. Those could be your organizing associates and your team members. And so that would be a great way to delegate that. The last person in the back end operations is a manager. They are tracking everything that's going on. They're looking at your return on investment. They're looking at your income, your numbers, how many billable hours you have, how you're spending your time. And they're sort of doing all the metrics of the business. This is actually an area that most entrepreneurs find awfully boring. <laughs> it is the first thing that people delegate. They get a bookkeeper. Um, they get someone to do their QuickBooks. Um, they get someone to look at you know, their metrics. They get an accountant. Uh, they track Excel spreadsheets. Uh, so the, the sort of manager role, um, the technician role, pardon me, nope, nope, I said it right, manager role, is the first one to go. Uh, so that would be your virtual assistant, all your back-end operations, your bookkeepers, um, your webmasters, uh, basically anyone that's doing a back-end of your business. They're either not working with a client or they're not out publicizing the business. That would be the manager role. That is actually the first one that most people delegate. So hopefully that's helpful because when you finally know the three roles of a business, it's much easier to sort of write down which areas you might delegate first. The other way to do it is the way I mentioned before, which is forget the hats of business and forget the traditional roles and just look at what do I love to do? Like, where's my sweet spot? How do I rock a client's world? What do I particularly bring to this one organizing business in the whole world? Like, what's unique about me? Don't delegate that. Delegate all the other stuff. I, yeah. Wow. That, I, breaking it down just... And I think that's what a lot of our guests on this podcast are doing. I think as a new business owner, you go into it and you're like, I have all these things to do. But then if you break <laughs> it down into these bite-sized chunks, um, it makes it so much more digestible. And having people with successful businesses like yourself remind us that just, you know, do either do one thing at a time or get someone to help you. And I think that's important to, before it gets too crazy, bring someone in to help us. How did you find, how, do you find it, do you have a system to find good people to help you in your business? Are there any quick pointers you have that we can uh, take with us? Yeah, that's a good question because that is an area that I think a lot of people struggle with is where will I find help? Um, as a business consultant and coach, I keep a list of people that can help uh, entrepreneurs and, and can help organizers. And I 
tend to call on them a lot. Um, but let's say when I was starting years ago, that's what I did is I called up a few organizers from national conference that I knew well and said, do you have a virtual assistant? We were talking about this. Um, would you recommend him or her? And then I interviewed a few of them. So I actually did get my virtual assistant who has been with me now for nine years. She's still the same person, my webmaster. They are the same two people that I started working with in 2008. They are loyal. They are excellent at their, you know, what they do. Um, and I got them both through other people. So actually, to be fair, my webmaster came from an author friend of mine that I knew well. I went to her website and I said, you know, Barbara, I've always loved your website. Who did it? She said, Lisa. I interviewed Lisa. I loved her. And that's it. I started using her. So I'd say look to the people you know first. I mean, especially nowadays because we're online. Mm -hmm. If you're on Facebook, if you're on social media, Instagram, and you love someone and, you know, you contact them and you say, you know, hey, Judy, I've always followed you. And she's like, oh, I'm so happy you love my organizing newsletter. My virtual assistant is so-and-so. She puts it together for me. That would be a great way to find someone. So I would say get referrals. And they don't even have to be in your industry. So you could follow someone online. Line that is, you know, a business uh, consultant. You could follow someone that, you know, um, is a hairdresser. You know, it doesn't have to even be in your industry, but nowadays things are easier to find because you're online. So right. um, there are some virtual assistants and webmasters that serve this particular industry. Um, and certainly you can get referrals to them, but you can think outside the box. Um, so just find someone that's doing it well and ask them if they have a team member. Uh, great way to find bookkeepers. Um, and the other thing is to think about who you're gonna use. Like if you're going to use a social media person uh, to do your social media, you wanna make sure you look at what they're doing. If you're gonna use a webmaster, look at some samples. It's hard to find samples for someone that's like, let's say gonna do your bookkeeping. So that's an area where you wanna get a referral. So talk to your accountant or an accountant and ask, you know, are there bookkeepers that you use in the area? Um, or call up a QuickBooks Pro. They, they are certified as QuickBooks Pro and ask them if they know a bookkeeper, you know, that type of thing. So I'd say definitely use word of mouth. This isn't an area where you just want to like, this isn't a time when you want to just Google someone and start using right. them. Um, the other thing is definitely interview them. I'm amazed how many people will not even talk to someone. They're like, well, I'm never going to talk to them. They're just going to do my website. Get them on the phone and see what they sound like and make sure that you feel that they're trustworthy and then do a trial run. Like I said, don't sign a long-term contract. Say, can we try a few hours and make sure we work well together? Um, any good uh, professional will feel comfortable with that. And if they ask you to sign a long-term contract and you don't feel comfortable, please don't do it. And it seems like as a business coach, you know, if someone's thinking of signing up for, you know, six months or a year of working with me and they've we've never worked together before, I might say, let's do a strategy session and then let's upgrade you to the six month or 12 months to make sure that, you know, we work well together. So just be careful if someone asks you to sign a long-term contract and you've never used that. Right. Yeah. There is a cool um, website. I think it's IVAA.org, the International Virtual Assistance Association. Yeah. And if you really can't find someone, you can go to IVAA.org and you can do what's called an RFP, a request for proposal. And you can actually say, I'm looking for a virtual assistant that does these exact things. If anyone matches this, please contact me and then they'll answer it and pitch, pitch to you. So that would be a last resort um, if you really can't find someone. It, it's out there. You can actually do just like people can go to NAPO right. and find and find an organizer. It's the same thing. And then and then you would just interview a few people and you know try them out. Yeah. So many great tips, Lisa. I I could talk to you all day. <laughs> 
and just like get everything that's in your brain. But so what I like to do at the end of the podcast, I like to ask our professionals to leave us with two sticky notes. If you can imagine someone putting two notes in their office saying, if I do these two things, at least are recommended, my business is going to rock this year. So what two things would you leave our listeners with that can really be high impact in their business if they implement it? I think uh, the two of them are two silly little mantras that I had. Um, and I think one of them I've already said, but I'm going to say it again because right. I think it deserves to be underscored. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I'm going to say a new one. So, and this is going to sound so strange to people who are starting out, but if you're listening and you've been in business years, you'll know what I mean. So don't be afraid to say no. And what I mean by that is when you are in a new business, you're very excited. So you say yes to everything. But if you already are starting to tell who your ideal client is and who your target market is, then you want to make sure that the prospect is a good fit. So it's actually more important to figure out what you will say no to than it is to say what you will say yes to. So in the beginning, you're saying yes, 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 yes. Start to figure out what your no's are, meaning if you don't feel that you're qualified to work with clients that have hoarding behavior, then start to say no to that and refer them to someone that is in the um, uh, ICD and that is certified in that area. If you don't want to drive more than an hour over the mountains in the snow, then say, you know what, I'm sorry, but that's beyond my travel radius, but here's an organizer that works in that area. So be careful with saying yes to everything. Um, make sure that you're respecting your boundaries. Make sure that you are, you know, figuring out what you're good at, what you love, and how you can best serve the client and give value. And then don't be afraid to say no, because that means saying yes to your ideal client. And that means delivering the best value to that client and therefore getting tons of repeat business in the areas you want to say yes to. So I know that sounds like a strange piece of advice to people that are early on, but I don't think it's said often enough. And I think it's really important that we need to figure out what to say no to. And um, I create for my clients in the beginning of the year an absolute yes list and a just say no list. And I would advise all of you entrepreneurs out there to keep adding to the absolute yes list and the hell no list as the years go on and then to honor that and respect those boundaries. Um, I think the second thing is that we, many of us are, you know, very type A and like I said, control freaks and perfectionists. And so just like I said earlier that one of my mantras was let go to grow, I put a little sticky note eventually and said done is better than perfect. Um, and that really changed my business because, and I'm not saying to put out shoddy work, um, but I see a lot of organizers that have amazing gold mines of ideas. Like they want to write an ebook, they want to start a program, uh, they want to go, you know, do some type of workshop for clients. And what stops them is the perfectionism. Like, oh, it's not ready, it's not perfect. Um, be careful with that because. You know, there are only so many hours in a day, and if you're billing hours with clients, you might not have a lot of time left over to build programs and products and, you know, do all these great speaking engagements and write a book. And, and so people say, like, wait, so you've been speaking professionally for all these years, you've published a book, you have all these products, how did you get it done? And I said to them, it's not that I lowered my standards and put out shoddy work, but I put that sticky note, done is better than perfect. And I said to myself, Lisa, if you don't start releasing these things into the universe, no one will ever be able to benefit from them. You won't be helping people. Um, and boy, that's selfish of you, you perfectionist. <laughs> so um, think about that also. It's not just that you need to let go to grow and start delegating, but I want you to all think about done is better than perfect. And so what I don't want to hear is year after year, like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. Start doing it and beta program test it. 
make charter members, tell them you're my guinea pigs. This is a charter program. I'm going to give you an introductory rate and you're going to give me feedback. People love that. So just be careful not to hold on to all your great stuff until it's quite perfect. Right. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us. If people want to keep up to date with you and what you're doing, where do you hang out on, on the web? So lisamontanero.com is my website. It's the hub. You can pretty much get uh, anywhere from there. I'm on all social media under Lisa Montanero. I was able to get my name. So I'm pretty heavy on Facebook. I'm pretty heavy on Instagram. Um, I check in with Twitter and LinkedIn once in a while, Um, but mostly Insta and Facebook. And then um, I do have a blog on my website. Um, So yeah, come come visit. I'd love to hear from anyone. If you want to say like, hey, I heard you on the podcast. you know, and you can, you know, certainly ask me questions and stay in touch. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much, I'm WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. I love it. <laughs> so I'm out there. Yeah. Sounds great. I, so listeners, I thank you for joining us today. I know that I, I am a big offender of not getting things done because it's not perfect yet. I am a big offender of not having an operations manual. I have all these templates and canned responses. I think I just need to put it together. And I actually can't wait because as organizers and productivity specialists, right, we, we love this stuff. So uh, what are you going to do this week to to get your business, uh, get your shield to your business a little thicker? You know, How can you protect yourself and protect your clients a little bit more? I'm Sarah Karakayan, and that wraps up this episode of Stand Out. And thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me, spending your time with me, and learning with me. If you like this podcast, please, please subscribe. Hit that review button. Let us know what you think and share it. Share it with your colleagues. Share it with with someone who may find this inspirational and it might change their business. Um, Thank you for spending your time with us. I look forward to hanging out with you next time, and I'll talk to you then. That's all for this episode of Stand Out, brought to you by the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to learn more about our educational offerings, our local chapters, and both certification and certificate opportunities. Don't miss an episode as we help you build the business you've always dreamed of owning. 